know, it's fun for me to see um, in our worship team sort of different people, new folks coming out, new people practicing, new people playing. So I told Martin I was going to mess with him while he's playing the drums over here. You guys can't really see because I sit up in the front here, but I make faces at the drummer <laughs> trying, to, trying to mess with them a little bit. Yeah, I told the, um, the huddle right before service, I said, you know, we take Jesus seriously here, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take Jesus seriously. And I think that's the fun thing about the church. We can kind of play around with each other. We can kind of mess with each other. If a couple of you guys were here a ways back when I talked about self-control, um, I talked about how I have a self-control issue around chocolate-covered malt balls. And so people over the last couple of weeks have been like dropping off little chocolate-covered malt balls for me. Uh, kind of enablers. It's great to have a church full of enablers around here. Uh, I told one of the guys that I said, well, I really have a weakness for uh, Corvettes. <laughs> so uh, he did. He, he got me a, a Corvette Stingray. It was a Hot Wheel, but he got that to me. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. But we take Jesus seriously. And what I'm excited about today is that we begin a whole new series on the book of Revelation. It's the book of Revelation, the last book, the 66th book out of all the books in the Bible. And we also are starting our life groups today, which will also be looking at this great book. Now, if you're familiar with Revelation, you know it's filled with all kinds of fantastic images. And it's important that as we look at this book, it's that we don't get lost in the forest of all of the images and all of the pictures that we see all around. As we go through this whole series, I want us to remember something that will help us navigate the whole book. It's going to be something that will be our true north for us among all of these things that will help us navigate. This book is all about one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to help us. I was having a conversation with Ali, and we were, you know, talking about this book and about this study, and we were laughing. We were joking with each other because we have both been in places, and especially both as pastors, we're, we're really kind of tuned in with this, where we have been in places where we hear people talk about the book of Revelations, with an S on the end of it. And both Ali and I, it, for us, that's kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. Singular. It's not plural. It's just the book of Revelation. Because there's only one revelation. There's a lot of pictures, there's a lot of vision, but there's only one revelation. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So um, Pastor Ali is right now away with a bunch of other covenant pastors this morning, but uh, he doesn't know I'm going to tell you this. So if he doesn't listen to the podcast, he won't know. If you want to mess with Pastor Ali, you can go up to him and go, hey, man, we just started the book of Revelations. (laughs) And watch him see if he goes into that little kind of shake that he does. All right, Ali, if you're listening right now, that's for you. Just messing with you. All right. Hey, but for us, the book of Revelation, why are we going to study that? I think for us, there's four reasons. There's four things that I want to impress upon us at GRX. The first thing 
and the overarching goal is for us to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus Christ. And one of the things I'm really about for us at GRX is that we would lead people to authentic faith in Jesus Christ. So this book, the first reason is to lead people to an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. That means us as followers of Jesus that our faith would be more authentically expressed. The second reason is that it's a book of courage. It's a book that gives courage to people under pressure. John and the early first century church were under an incredible amount of pressure and persecution by the Roman government. That's when this book was written. And so it's a word of comfort and confidence to those who are under pressure. It's a book of comfort. And so I want us to read this book recognizing that it's a book of comfort. The third thing I want us to do is to grow as a church in how we handle Scripture. And so why not do Revelation? We'll jump off in the deep end. How do we handle Scripture? How do we grow and mature as followers of Jesus Christ? And how do we handle Scripture? I was so excited this morning because we had our life group leaders who are going to be leading these Bible studies this week. We had like 10 or 12 people that show up. We walk through this first chapter and the Bible study, growing as a church in how we handle Scripture. Sometimes you hear me preach topically, like in the summer, we talk, take these topics and we run it at different we, we talk about different passages of the Bible. Revelation is going to be more a walking through this book, and it'll help us to read a book in its totality and see the big arc of the message. And then the fourth thing, the fourth reason, is because I would like us, in some way, to expand our own imagination, to expand our own praying imagination. As I shared a little bit earlier in their service, sometimes as adults, we kind of lose our sense of wonder. We lose our capacity to imagine things. We actually lose track of our imagination. We get through school. We go through study. We study at at university, something like science or engineering. And we get channeled down this road. We get very analytical. We get very left-brained. We get very academic. I mean, I found that in my own career, in my academic career. Very left-brained, very analytical, very critical. And we get into jobs that are very analytical and very critical. And it seems all very adult. But it's also very one-sided. It's also very left-brained, if, if, you, if, if you will. And there's a whole aspect of who we are as adults, as human beings, that are, you know, traditionally thought of as right-brained. There's beauty. There's poetry. There's music. There's painting. There's great story. All of this is also a part of what it means to be human. And if the only way that we approach is academically, then we'll never really discover the poetry and the beauty of Scripture. I mean, have you ever thought about Scripture this way? That there's a lot in Scripture that is also very poetic and very beautiful and very much tapping in to the wonder that God has created in us. The prayers of the psalm, those are 
Those are beautiful prayers. The poetry of the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, that's love poetry in the Song of Solomon. The images of Daniel, and of course what we're going to run into, the great visions of Revelation. Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor and a great author, he uh, wrote a book called Reverse Thunder, looking at Revelation. And he writes this as a pastor and as, a, as someone who reflects on the book of Revelation. Peterson wrote, my primary question before the text that's before scripture has not been, what does this mean? But rather, how does this work in the community of believers? I have taken the position that this book does not primarily call for decipherment as if it were written in code, but that it evokes wonder, releasing metaphors that resonate meanings and refracts insights in the praying imagination. You know, there's something that, as we go through this, there's a a danger that I want us to just be aware of. I'm calling it the danger of decipherment. As we read the book of Revelation, let's not approach it like we're reading uh, the Da Vinci Code by Brown. Oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? Deciphering it. Because I think if we go down that road, we're going to miss what the revelation is all about. I think what I'd rather see us, instead of, of as a book to decipher, seeking to tell the future, or I don't think we should really even look at this book as a book that looks at political regimes and powers and governments to decipher the future. I think instead we should look at what does this book teach us about the one revelation of Jesus Christ and how do the metaphors and pictures speak to the wider power and wonder and awe of who God is. Now, maybe some of you have read some about Revelation. I've read a bunch of stuff, both commentators and all this stuff online. And to be honest, there's some really crazy stuff out there, some really wacky stuff. And I love this quotation by an author named G.K. Chesterton. He's an author that was very instrumental in the life of C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was while Lewis was an atheist and an agnostic that he read G.K. Chesterton and saw something in his writings that pointed him to Jesus. But G.K. Chesterton wrote and he did, he kind of was looking at all these people that were commentating and writing about the book of Revelation. And he wrote this. Chesterton wrote, though John the evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, that's the book of Revelation, he saw no creatures so wild as, the, as one of his own commentators. So watch out. Just be mindful that a lot of the stuff that's out there is pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. But there is one revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so with that as a backdrop, I'm going to read through the first chapter, the book of Revelation, and as we go through it, I'm going to give some insights to help frame what's going on in this passage and to help us understand and be released into these incredible images that we get of who Jesus Christ is and who God is in this, the final book of the Bible. 
So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 to 20, and it's also going to be up here on the screen. But friends, hear this incredible word of God. It says that we're blessed if we read it aloud and we hear it. So now hear this word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The opening, the very first in verse uh, chapter one, it says the revelation. This word revelation, apocalypsis, it's from where we get the English word apocalypse. We get this word. It means apocalypsis, the unveiling, the revealing, disclosure. It shows up in other parts of scripture, perhaps most famously in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says this about the unveiling, revealing apocalypse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it says in uh, Romans chapter 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is apocalypsis. The righteousness of God is revealed. That's what this word is. Through the Gospels, Jesus Christ is revealed. And in Revelation, Jesus Christ is revealed. And so it begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pastor Gerald Johnson does a study on this. The word of, he looks at it and goes, wow, what is this word, this little preposition of? Does it mean by? Because it could be the revelation by Jesus Christ, or it could be the revelation about Jesus Christ. So Pastor Johnson asks, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is it by Jesus Christ or about Jesus Christ? And he says, the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ in this incredible vision that John receives. So let's go on. So verse four says this. John, he's the writer, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and makes us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then here we get some incredible imagery. It echoes the book of Daniel. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do you see the poetic language here? It's like what we saw in, it's like what we saw in worship earlier when Ray and the team led us through that Chris Tomlin song, who was and is and is to come. That's where they get these words from. That's what inspires musicians, these words out of Revelation. These words spark our imagination. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. All that was, everything is contained in God. He is the Almighty. And then he goes on and continues in verse 9. So it says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. That's the pressure that they're under. Partner in the tribulation and partner in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. John was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyre and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So let me just frame this a little bit for us. It is John, the author of this. And I believe it's John, the one who Jesus calls in Matthew chapter four, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the beloved, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, it's of James and John. He's the one who wrote first, second, third John, the letters, and also the gospel of John. John was, excuse me, John was serving before as the bishop in the city over the church in Ephesus. And he mentions that church, Ephesus. Now there are all these seven churches that are named, Smyrna, Laodicea. These are all of these churches, seven churches that would have been under the church of Ephesus and under the bishop who would have been John. So here is John writing this letter, grace and peace to you. That's a classic way to write a letter in the first century. And he's writing this letter to the seven churches that he knows and that he loves and that he was providing oversight for. And he was writing this as a word of comfort to them because he was under tribulation and pressure and persecution. And so were all of they. Now, John was on the island of Patmos and he was in exile. You know, if you go to the Mediterranean today and you go to Turkey, you can go and see the ruins of Ephesus. And a little bit off the coast of Turkey, there's another little island and it's called Patmos. And that's where John is. There's actually a a monastery there. I think it was built in the 12th century. And it is this monastery. It's the monastery of St. John because this is where John was. This is where he received his vision on the island of Patmos. Now, in the first century, this island was used by the Roman authorities, and that's where they sent prisoners. They sent political prisoners there to quarry rock. You would be digging rock out of this island, and the Romans would use it to make their famous Roman roads 
which went all throughout the Roman Empire. Your civics class, you know how great the Roman roads were. They were made of all this stone. They got it from Patmos, and they got it from political prisoners, prisoners of the state. And that's where John was. He was there, mining rock. It made me think a little bit, actually, about our Bay Area. And Alcatraz? Alcatraz is that famous prison right in the middle of San Francisco Bay. And you know the nickname for Alcatraz? is the rock. It's called the rock. But before Alcatraz, the rock was created, there was a first century rock. And that was Patmos. That's the prison. That's the island. That's where John was. John was in exile. John was in exile because he followed Jesus as Lord. He wouldn't say Caesar is Lord, which is what you had to say in the Roman Empire. He said Jesus is Lord. And because he said that, he was under persecution. And a lot of people were under persecution at that time. You know, I was thinking about, there's an interesting parallel, even among um, our, it was in um, our uh, recent history, was that even in um, World War II, you know, not that long ago, there was a time where people were imprisoned for their faith because they were claiming Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the time in World War II, in Nazi Germany, when Germany was coming to, when, when Hitler was coming to power, there was a group of churches, Lutheran churches, called the Confessing Church. And there was a whole bunch of Lutheran pastors who would say, you know, we're not going to go along with the government and national socialism. We're not going to go along with Hitler. We're going to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. There was only one ruler, only one leader, who can call that kind, of, um, that kind of allegiance. And it's Jesus Christ who is Lord. And they wrote this very famous thing called the Barman Declaration. It was written out of World War II to claim that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what they actually said. And there were all these Lutheran pastors that got imprisoned for that. And probably one of the most famous of those was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed because he would not claim anything else than Jesus Christ as Lord. He wouldn't bow down to Hitler. Now, there was another Lutheran pastor at that same time. He was also imprisoned, also in concentration camp. He didn't get executed like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he survived. And all the years that he was in the Nazi concentration camp, he spent all that time, and he wrote a commentary. He wrote a commentary on a book of the Bible that for him was going to be the one that would bring him the most comfort in the time of incredible suffering and persecution and imprisonment. And you can probably guess what book he chose. He wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. It wasn't the kind of book that he made wild, wild interpretations of. He wrote it because it was a book of comfort. He wrote a commentary to understand that book because it was about Jesus Christ and about the good power of Jesus Christ overwhelming the evil power that he could see both in the world and in history and in himself and all around us. It's a word of comfort. It's a word of comfort. All right, so then verse 12. Let me go ahead and continue as we just keep going through this. See about the imagination, about the power, and see if this could be comforting 
to someone who's under persecution. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like, white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, these are the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And now more is coming next week. We're going to look at the churches, and especially the first church, Ephesus. But here opens the first book, the first chapter of this last book. I mean, one of the things that was really pointed out here that I found incredibly comforting actually came up in the Bible study this morning with the life group leaders. And one of the leaders, I thought he pointed this out in a very, very good way. He said, even in this book, even with all these powerful images, this image of Jesus Christ, the sword, white, big robe, he comes and in a very empathetic way, he lays his hand on John. And he says, fear not. That's comfort. That's empathy. He doesn't stay far off, but he comes near and he lays hands on you. Isn't that just like Jesus? He just comes close and lays hands on you. That was a great insight. I didn't come up with that. That was from one of your life group leaders. It's one of the leaders. I'm not going to embarrass him, but his initials are Oliver Lynn. So that's how it is. Great insight. It's great. It's great. That's what this book is about. This book is about one revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Don't get distracted by everything else. Past, present, future. What is this? What is that? Who's that? It's all about Jesus Christ. And as we go through this book, it can ignite our imaginations because we're going to encounter Jesus Christ. He's going to be the Lord of the churches. He's going to be the Lamb on the throne. We've already seen him as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is to come. The living one, the one coming on the clouds, the leader of the new creation the one with good power who is worthy to receive all glory and honor 
and praise and dominion. We're going to see all of that unfold in Jesus Christ. I'm going to share this last story just to wrap this whole thing up. And if you're here last week, we were celebrating GRX hoops and all the cool kind of things that came up. And so uh, this is a little bit of a basketball story. When I was in seminary, we used to play basketball and um, none of us were very good. None of us were very good in, in, in like, like the coaches at GRX hoops or anything. But we used to just go and play. And this is how nerdy seminarians are. Like when we would play basketball, we would also trash talk with each other. But then we would also trash talk with each other and call each other names of long forgotten theologians. And we're like, man, you are so slow. Man, that shot is so weak, man. You shoot like Athanasius. And people are like, that is so dumb, you guys. It's so nerdy. Well, in seminary, you learn a lot of stuff and a lot, you know, and you get really super nerdy, but sometimes you can get kind of smug. And um, because you learn all this knowledge and, and you get kind of geeky about it. And so there's this story that Daryl Johnson tells, a pastor, and he says, he tells a story about how there were these seminarians and they were playing basketball. And they were playing basketball in this gym. It was a high school gym. And there was a janitor that was nice enough to open up this gym. And so as these seminarians were playing back and forth, the janitor says, hey, while you guys are playing, can I borrow one of your Bibles? And so the janitor uh, went, went over and the seminarian said, yeah. The guys in seminary said, yeah, you can go ahead and borrow a Bible. And so the guy, he picked it up and he was reading it. And, you know, weeks and weeks would go by and the janitor would be reading through. And the seminarians would say, uh, eventually, after about three or four weeks, would say, hey, what are you reading? And the janitor said, oh, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And the seminarian would go, oh, uh, well, do you understand it? And the uh, janitor goes, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of getting it. Yeah, I, I, I think I get it. And the seminarian thinks back, and he had had a class on New Testament and all this stuff about Revelations, and he had a professor who said, you know, there's so many things in it, it's so complicated, no one can understand it. It's a big, impenetrable mystery. And so the seminarian, kind of sarcastic, looks at the janitor and goes, really? I'm in seminary. So he kind of asks, a little bit sarcastic in tone, really? So uh, you know what it means? What does it mean? The janitor stops and looks up. He says, Jesus wins. And he goes back to read. (laughs) It's the revelation of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. And Jesus wins. That's it. And we're going to unfold a lot more as we look at this passage. All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the one that wins. And so God, as we explore this great book, and as we look at what this tells us about who you are, God, we pray that you would draw us more deeply into a life and faith and prayer that sees you for who you really are, the God of power, the God of comfort, the God who we worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.